So good afternoon to everybody and welcome to another episode of Comply or Die. Our guest today really is a, a very special one. Um, he is somebody who is very, very distinguished, um, highly successful in his field, and his background includes cybersecurity regulations, law enforcement, and now sitting in a compliance space. Uh, a quick bit of background um, and a really, really top highlight is that our special guest today has been recognized by the CISO board and CISO Connect as one of 2022's top 100 CISOs in the industry, which really is uh, quite an incredible achievement and feat. This individual has been in the cybersecurity game for in excess of 20 years, previously held the role of global security officer at TikTok, and in addition has more than a decade of experience serving the US Air Force, Department of Defense, and Department of Veterans Affairs. Finally, or not even finally, but our guest today is also the author of a business book titled Becoming a Global Chief Security Executive Officer, which was published in 2015. So Roland, thank you so much for joining us today. And as I say, uh, a real privilege to have you on the podcast with us. Kyle, thanks for having me. Amazing. Apart from the, the brief introduction and the, the highlights I pointed out, is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, and please, I mean, feel free, tell us a bit more about yourself apart from those few few facts. Well, you know, um, I'm a Sagittarius. No, just kidding. Um, no, that, you know, it's kind of summed it up all together. It uh, it's been a great, you know, 20 or 30 years in the space of security, risk, privacy, compliance, and law enforcement. So, um, just something I love getting up and doing every day and uh, uh, glad to be here talking about compliance with you because it, obviously it's a huge part of uh, you know my mission space and, and what I have to do on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I think uh, one thing you hit on the head already is something you get up and enjoy doing. I'm, I'm very fortunate you and I are having this conversation. I think there's a lot of people that turn their nose up to and, and don't quite feel the same about compliance. So to have like-minded people... <laughs> They're looking people... at it wrong, Kyle. They're looking at it wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, please go on. T tell me a bit more on that exact point. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's funny. I don't call it compliance anymore. I haven't called it compliance for years. I mean, we do obviously have compliance specialists that help us create the the level of assurance necessary to make sure that we're in compliance with global regulatory laws and things of that nature. And, and we're following the frameworks that great professionals who have gone before us have created to, to ensure that there's we're, we're meeting the spirit of what we're all trying to accomplish in, in this space. But the word we use a lot more today, I think it's assurance, especially in the operations cool. space. Remember, you know, I'm an operations executive, which means that, um, you know, my focus is on on implementing the controls, operating the controls, driving the controls and uh, assuring those controls. And then when things go bad, make sure we're managing through critical issues. Right. So that, that's my job. And a big component of that is the daily controls assurance component, which, quite frankly, is a compliance, you know, related matter um you know i think people often take the the approach in compliance it's it's a, a one and done to the next time but from my opinion that's that's not great compliance that's more like audit assessment um rather than ensuring that the sanctity of the controls and the sanctity of the operating environment through an appropriate compliance program so anyways that's that's my why i like it why do you like it kyle so, I mean, from my side, 
in all honesty, the, the big thing for me, and I love how you're now interviewing me on our podcast. That's fantastic. I hope you've got a whole lot of questions lined up for me. But for me, it's it's largely a value part for customers. So like you made mention of the audit side and sort of audit and done, um, in my background, I, I sat on the other side of the compliance fence being the auditing side. And of course, that is, it, it's, it's a check. It's a yes or no, it's a pass or fail. Yes, it's obviously more than that, but at its crux, that's essentially what you're looking at. So to sit on a compliance side and be able to get more value for a customer to assess something as part of a readiness or a remedi remediation process and to evaluate something and say, okay, this isn't actually up to par and if we were auditing it, you would fail. But this is what we are going to do to rectify that and to have a really good control in place. For me, that's what I really enjoy. It's, it's the value. And it's also just that journey with customers from having things in place to having security-minded processes that make the organization better on a daily basis. Well, I, I can tell it's already going to be a great podcast because, you know, from, you know, we, you know, a lot of executives that I, that I work with in this space, we don't necessarily even call it security risk or compliance. Yeah. We call it business operations protection. And what you mm -hmm. just described is how we live it, right? We're, our job is to hear the, the ensure the success of the business. And compliance has a direct relation to that. And when you go at it saying, I don't want to fail an audit, therefore I don't get penalties for the business, therefore we can run faster, you're helping the business move along. So that's, a, that's you know, I like the way you described it. Thank you. And I mean, maybe in addition to that point that will directly become the, the next question here is, how, how have you managed and I mean, what have you seen in over your career, obviously, you've worked with organizations of different sizes, and some of them, like you say, you've got these executives or you've got IT management that very much want you to go away and it's do the absolute minimum to pass the audits and have the checkbox. How have you been able to sort of change that mindset with them to, to get them to see the value in the process? It, so um, the, I love that question actually so uh, I wasn't prepared for that question so early but let me tell you um, I think there's there's two parts of that question let's talk about the first part they see it as a problem they see it as a you know uh, just an hindrance um, it's kind of true I, I, I you know I, I say that not jokingly because you know think about it you're a you're a business uh, executive in a company and you're running a, a product line or, or, or whatever and all of a sudden security comes at you with an assessment. And then you have um, compliance uh, wants you to fill out a questionnaire or go through an assessment. Then you're getting audited because maybe you move money or, or, or maybe it's just your, your turn at the wheel. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, the PCI team's coming in. And then all of a sudden, like, you have five different teams taking up time from the people who are managing your operation, who are managing your go-to-market, who are developing your product, who are supporting customers, who are supporting revenue. And the next thing you know, the the things that are quote unquote under the umbrella of compliance in some manner are taking up, you know, 18 to 20% of your organization's time. So I see why they get less than friendly when we walk into the room. To put it um, politely. <laughs> to put it lightly, politely. So um, I think we have an issue of understanding organizationally our, as a cohort of people trying to do the right thing in business operations protection to ensure the sanctity of the business. So how do we do it better? 
So I think that's step one. How do we do it better? Can we have a shared services model? Can audit ask some of the questions that I would use? Can we have a shared GRC platform that we all utilize to go get information out of or uh, put our reporting in? Um, can we share resources, right? If we have really good, you know, a lot of organizations aren't that big. We don't have time to send out so many people. Maybe I have six questions and when your team goes out, you ask them for me or you go collect the evidence. Can we do it in an automated way? If we're doing evidence collection on technical infrastructure or policies, we don't need to talk to the business, right? We should be able to connect to that in an automated way. A great, um, a, a great architect and technologist that had been working for me for years until recently, he's now a chief security officer, just got his first chief security officer job, um, VJ LaRosa. He was accountable in our model, in our last model, to actually create technology in the architecture organization to automatically test, validate, and ensure controls in an automated way to remove that problem from the business. When we do that, we're showing that we understand and have um, great um, empathy for you know for our business and, and for our internal clients. So that's really step one. Drive empathy through advanced capabilities and how you deliver compliance. Second, I think, is do it when it counts. You know, if if people are trying to go to market, like if you sit down and, and the company says, "Hey, we want to, we want you know, we want to do business in Brazil this year. We haven't done it in um, in Latam. Brazil has the biggest population. We want to tech there. What do we have to do to be able to do our business there? Be their partner." Research it. Know what you have to do um, in order to help them accelerate. Get ahead of it. Build your compliance portfolio model specific for that geo or region um, so they can go running in there fast and deliver their services and achieve their market speed. Right? Be their partner in their go-to-market. Be their partner in what they're trying to achieve by products. Know the ne two, next two years of products. Know the next two years of geo expansion and help them achieve that not when they get to the gate and they're ready to run, but well before that. You know, think think about it, you know, potentially starting these programs two two years, 18 months in advance. So when they're there, they're delivering, they're not waiting on quote unquote compliance approval. Sure, I think that there was a, a ton in that itself. If I had to take four keywords from that um, and, and going back to the original question with how you got the value and, and sort of jumping around a bit there, I would, from my side, have to sum that up and say, support, value, automation, and there was one other one that's obviously Empathy. escaped me now. Empathy, Empathy. yes, yeah. that was exactly a thank you. Yeah. And I think if I, uh, it, it makes sense looking at your, your background and, and your success, that with that in the forefront of your mind, why, why your career has been as it, exactly as it has, because, Let's go back to the other side where we're saying compliance is regulatory or it's a need for a business. Your whole approach that you've just taken us all through here is very much actually getting that value and support. It's not a case of you have to do this and go and do it. It's okay. I'm going to be a part of that journey with you to to go and do that. So I, I really think that's awesome. And I think the people that have worked with you, uh, I, I imagine it's been a, an absolute fantastic time for them rather than having someone that's sort of enforcing stuff and, and you're not seeing that benefit of it. Well, um, I think it's a two-way street. I think a lot of the things that sure. I've learned through my career are from compliance experts and professionals, right? I'm tangible. You know, I'm a, I'm a yeah. you know umbrella leader in, in the security risk and compliance space. 
Um, but you have uh, men and women that have done this their entire careers. This is their passion. And they've been at the, at the front line. They've been the forefront. They've been the, the sharp tip of the spear going, going, you know, in this area. And, and they say, listen, we're tired of getting beat up. We're tired of, you know, being looked at like this. We, we think we should do things differently. And, and I think the industry as a whole, as kind of this new, um, uh, this this new focus on compliance and this this new professional training and post grad and compliance and post grad or uh, or, or uh, new certifications in compliance really is changing. Um, going from you know I had a CPA and I wanted to do something more on the technical side, so I went into compliance. To this is a full fledged um, career field and multi level career field that people are getting into. And so I'm learning as much through them um, as I'm helping them into the business. Absolutely. Maybe going one step back to the the automation part you made mention of, I would love for you to to talk us through a little bit more from in your experience how you've seen that efficiency gain or just the advancement of being able to utilize automation in a compliance process for an organization as a whole. The pros to it, uh, any issues or risks you've seen with it. What's your experience been like there? Uh, it, it's, it's been exciting actually. So, I mean, if you, so what it's, what is compliance? The compliance is the assurance that a control is in place, operable, operable, um, and in some cases necessary, depending what type of, uh, you know, program, you know, you, you run. Um, and, and so I think one of the first efficiencies from an executive perspective, just from running a P and L and, um, in, in driving, um, cost assurance uh, for businesses, do we even need the control anymore? Like, can we reinvest in controls that we need by removing other controls? So I think when you are able to put in a capability that tests the the efficacy and the, um, the validity uh, of, of necessity for any given control in an automated way, like, is that even a problem in our environment? Do we have secondary or tertiary controls that actually become a primary control? So this automation has enabled us to very quickly pivot when necessary away from controls that are no longer valid. You've seen it, right, a thousand times. Why do we even have that? Yeah, we tested it, there's evidence, but there's never been an alert against it. There's never been, um, you know, uh, you know I, I don't think we need it. Oh, okay, let's get rid of it. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think that's number one. Number two is just the time. Like the, if, if I, if compliance is done in, a, in an extremely manual way, in an average compliance assessment, you know, you, I'm sure you do this, you know, in, in your space as well, takes, you know, an average of uh, 40 hours for interviews, 80 hours for collection and analysis, right? You just go through the numbers. All of a sudden, it's, it's one FTE for a full month for a single compliance review on a single topic. Isn't that crazy? Like you only get 12 months in a year to be a business. It takes one month to do one, including the report writing and delivery and, and you know, and, and sitting down a meeting. What if when an analyst sat down to do a compliance assurance, the data was already in front of them? Like we collected it on the control. The evidence was there machine-wise, no human touch it. So it can't be faked, altered, or, or anything else. And so we'll get to trustworthiness in a minute. But all of a sudden, all of the data is there and it's automatically aligned with the control functions that I'm trying to look at. And it's put in a report format with graphs showing what it was last month to this month. That's just data. 
That's collecting data, putting data in the right spots, analyzing it, and presenting in a human factor way that gives us the capability to understand it better at speed, and it's done. And so that four-week effort turns into a one- or two-day effort and then a delivery. So now what are we getting to? We're getting to a continuing assurance, a continuing compliance, because that's what we're after, isn't it? It's not a one and done. It's one, we want to make sure that our, our business is compliant, secure, and assured on a continuing basis. So all of a sudden, that, that magical term of, con, of continuance is there, and we're living it. So that's, that's the number two thing I've seen is that, hey, where are we at with that? Are we still in compliance? Yep, yesterday's report came up validated. It's still working, and we got six alerts against it, and here's the process that you know was handled after it. Okay, thanks. Right, you can get that level of operational assurance as a leader in an organization through that. And the last component I'll, I'll talk about is trustworthiness. Right, it's not that we don't trust people to collect the information or trust people to give us the right information, but how many times do we have collect the information, do interviews, ask six other questions, and then go watch a process because we weren't sure if we were getting, you know, the checkbox answer for a reason. Right? We weren't sure that, let's be honest, people just want us to go away. So, so you know, we spend a little extra time, part of that four weeks is spending extra time to make sure we're not, we're not getting snowed. Well, when you do it through technology, you don't have to worry about getting snowed. You, have, you, you show them you have confidence in them, you have confidence in their program, you trust them, and that relationship just gets better. So you have trustworthiness and a better relationship. What more could you want? Go automation. I think that's an incredible summary. Um, I, I don't have too many points to add to that, to be honest. I, I completely agree with every single thing you've just mentioned. Um, and one thing I'm, I'm wondering as we go through this is, how did how did you transition from law enforcement to compliance? I mean, I, I can hear compliance is the passion. You you live it. You breathe it on a daily basis. Uh, I, maybe that's why you, you went that way. What what sparked that move? Oh no, totally on the other uh, uh, other side of it. Actually, uh, I, I did it because I felt like an idiot. Um, I was you know a federal police detective doing uh, you know. Felony crime investigations, uh, mostly in the fraud space, and uh, and theft and diversion and things like that. And and the problem was, I I didn't I didn't necessarily understand it. And uh, I had a, a really good mentor, a guy by the name of Don Sneewick, who passed away years ago now. But um, he was a uh, he's a professor at Boston University. And we used to work close to each other. So I would run over to his office when I had a case that had something to do with computers. I'd be like, Don, 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 explain this to me, this computer stuff, right? Like how do, like the forensics aspect of it, how those systems integrated with the data so I could go, like Don knew. So um, I, uh, I it, it got to a point <laughs> probably a couple of years into it. Uh, and, and he goes, hey, hey, listen, Roland, I really like you. You're a good guy. Uh, but I don't have all the time for you in the world. Maybe you should go back to school. You have an acumen for this. So, um, so I did. I went. I actually went back to uh, you know a BU um, a computer extension school for for a couple of years and uh, went through their uh, you know the, the program they had at the time for for this type of technology. Fell in love with it. 
Um, honestly, Kyle, I was kind of class clown in the back. I was the guy that turning off other people's computer remotely, rebooting their machines, formatting their disks. Like I was that guy, uh, and just enjoyed the technology. And, you know, when I came out, uh, dipped my toe in the dark area of commercialism and doubled my pay from government. And as a young father, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, pretty, you know, pretty important to the family and then found out. I could do just as much in protecting the world through computers and the commercial sector as I could do in law enforcement and started building global security teams. And 20 years later, here I am. Amazing. I feel like that is a, a very unique um, resume and background story. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to tell a good few people about that. I won't bore them with all the compliance stuff, but definitely the, <laughs> the, the movement of it. Um, it's, it. It's really cool. I think as a, millennial or a, just, just to sort of add into that. Will you tell um, my kids that? I don't think they thought that was cool. So I appreciate no, it. I, th I think it really is. Um, it's, it's a very cool journey. Um, just the, an interest or, or curiosity um, for, for knowledge and to, to know things like you sort of made mention of. Um, okay. Let's go, let's go back. Maybe not the whole way from 20 years, year by year timeline, but, Tell, tell us about some projects and initiatives that you've been a part of for when, from when you started in the compliance space, maybe a few more recently, that evolution, what, what stands out for you? Yeah, in compliance, I want to say there's probably like four things, maybe five, we don't, we don't have all day, but you know, that really spun my head on the space. Um, first was actually one of my first jobs as a chief security officer, um, I was uh, doing work for EMC, which is, I was chief security officer for EMC, and I was the, um, you know, uh, for those of you that don't remember, it's now uh, Dell EMC. They were the largest um, uh, technology disk and storage manufacturing company in the world. And, um, like, they were in 80% of critical infrastructure industries around the globe. So there was a lot of compliance. But one of the customers, the U.S. government at the time, had a lot of compliance requirements under how we secured uh, the manufacturing process, delivered it, so on and so forth. So um, I wasn't, I mean, I had, you know, the Office of Inspector General and things like that while I was in the in the military and in law enforcement, but I wasn't ready for that level of compliance. And what was neat is I had to build it from the ground up. So I had to learn about it. I had to learn how to fit it into my operations, how to budget for it, what type of people to hire. So my first foray into um, true, honest to God compliance was through the requirements the U.S. government was was giving us for protecting the infrastructure we were providing them. So that was, I mean, that was a pretty deep way to go. I mean, you know, everything from the technology to the people to the backgrounding to the clearances and everything in between. So that was that was a pretty big uh, project, and. And then I got into some pretty big PCI projects and, and people will say, well, that's not really compliance. You know, that's certification. Like, I don't want to get into the argument, but at the end of the day, the controls necessary to run a PCI program, um, monitor it, assure it, attest, report, uh, and validate um, was pretty big. And, you know, in segmentation of infrastructures and what operating environments and on and on and on and on, like all the things you have to do. Um, so PCI broadened my eyes to the complexity and compliance of compliance, right? Like, how do you how do you do it in, if you're in a global multinational with infrastructure around the globe and it's just being processed in this area? 
how do you reduce the impact to the business? And that was the first time I really started thinking about this. Like, we shouldn't be worrying about the entirety of the data center, just the 12 systems that, you know, impact PCI. And how do we make sure we do that for the business? So being on both the compliance side and the operation side was great because I could just go change the architecture, which would reduce the compliance requirements. And and it still make it assured to the level that we want to do for our marketplace. So that was PCI. Oh, and then GDPR. Oh, the sweet GDPR. Um, you know, I had a, an amazing privacy partner. His name was John Geverts over at ADP. Um, and about two years before um, GDPR came out, you know, we were, I mean, it was a solid privacy organization. We had to write letters of association between organizations. We had, you know, um, for all you geeks that are in the privacy space, you know, we were doing DF, uh, data flow analysis, DFAs, you know, privacy impact analysis. We were doing all that stuff before GDPR, but GDPR changed our world, right? Um, and, and so we know we had to have automation. Uh, we know we had to have levels of assurance in, in those data flows and the controls. So also we're marrying privacy with compliance with data with uh, with data assurance, so data defense and data assurance. It was a whole new wor world for us that we had to invent. Um, and so we got a lot, uh, you know, uh, of education over two years as a, as a team putting that in place. And I think the last one, my, not my favorite at all, was um, MYDFS, where actually me as a chief security officer had to sign to the attestation and compliance um, to the state of New York for uh, financial controls assurance on the technology side. And it was different because that felt very compliance-like. That didn't felt like it wasn't the best, like it didn't make sense to me as a practitioner for the business or for the people that they were trying to serve. Um, it, it felt like it more of a, a knee-jerk reaction at the time. Um, so we had to come up with interesting ways to ensure that I, if I'm gonna sign something, you know damn well I'm gonna go through every single aspect of it. So how did I get that level a validation and verification. And that's when we came out with the automation. Um, how do you do this in an automated way that I wasn't re I wasn't relying on people turning in, uh, you know, a questionnaire or something like that. I wanted to make sure that at a technical level, I could I could go into court, you know, raise my right hand, swear in the Bible, and, and know that 100% um, that that those controls were effective. So, anyways, those are probably my top four, but they're all impactful, and you know how many years they take. Uh, you know, to, to get them there. So their compliance has just been a part of my portfolio for a very long time. Absolutely. And I mean, what a journey and, and what an experience as well. And thinking about a lot of the points you've made mention of and, and obviously working around the world with different companies, different uh, corporates and, and cultures, have you ever experienced any specific challenges or, or anything sort of stood out to you from, I suppose a cultural is maybe the closest way to sort of frame it where some are, are really security minded and, and willing to adopt um, certain security or, or operational aspects as we say or not? Kyle, do you sit in Europe? I do not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I normally get that, that question uh, when we're talking about Europe. Uh, the, the answer is yes, of course. I mean, you know, every culture is different. Every every business is run. I mean, look at, look at the difference between uh, board of directors makeup uh, just from the United States to Europe, right? So in 
in the United States, boards have a responsibility to, ha to ensure that the management is capable in doing the right things to manage the organization. That's as deep as they go, typically. In Europe, public boards have a much deeper requirement. They are to be part of the management of the organization and are accountable for delivering appropriate management to the company, right? So it's, it's a very different view, and it starts even at that board level. What, I, what I'll say is in, um, in different parts of the world, there's, um, I, I think, uh, things like risk are looked at differently. The word risk is used in different concepts. It's very different. Um, call it in Asia or mainland China than it is in, in the United States. Um, or uh, what is operational effectiveness? You know, that's very, very different when you're, you know, working in, um, in you know, Europe versus the U.S. Um, or, or even, uh, you know, what privacy controls mean in uh, Eastern Europe or mainland Russia. Um, uh, to other parts of the world. So you have to build your program based on context. And you need people to educate you. The worst mistakes I've ever made in my career is to run in headstrong, knowing how to solve something uh, that's a global issue in many geos or jurisdictions and not taking into account um, uh, kind of what we would call globally local. How are they thinking about it locally? How do you have to support them locally? One of the big reasons I always created what we would call theater of operations, right? So same thing military taught me was you break up the world in different theaters. You're going to operate differently in there because they have different laws, different requirements. Your supply chain is going to be different. Your people are going to be different. How do you make sure that you understand this? So that's number one. Number two is get business security officers uh, or BSOs very close to the business in those areas and, and hopefully in the same culture, right? So they're professionals in our career field, but um, culturally aware and understanding so they can help you as part of your extended leadership team actually deliver your services into that region appropriately with context. So context is key and context is important in this business. Amazing. I, I can see from the start of our conversation when we said this podcast was going to go that time has absolutely flown today. I do still, I have one more question that I'd love to get your insights on and then maybe any anything in closing that you'd like to add from your side. We've covered and, and obviously spoken about the benefits and the use and aid of automation a lot. So we're in 2023 right now. How do you see a global security officer or the aid and advancement of automation in this compliance space 10 years from now? Well, 10 what years from now. And the, future, the future looks like, um, I, I, I hate to say it, um, especially for this podcast, but I, I think um, we nirvana in the area of, of um, continuing compliance assurance um, will be here. I, don't, I think you're going to be able to escape it. You're not going to be able to, we're not going to see questionnaires. Um, we're going to be able to click a button and see the verification and validation. Compliance becomes a part of the daily operation. And, and so if, if a control is not in place or effective, it's immediately fixed. Um, if it's, if it's uh, 
I, and in some industries, and uh, people are going to cringe when I say this, in some in regulators will be notified immediately as the business is being. Like if it's that sensitive yeah. of control and there's a reporting requirement, the system will will be so smart that um, the government will know about it and, um, and and the business will have to validate repair and, and validate the repair, so to speak. Um, so I see less heavy, intensive compliance organizations, smarter, um, smarter ways to implement um, compliance reviews and assurance. And I, you know, I just see that, you know, we reaching where we've all wanted to be in the next 10 years. I think it's there. I think we'll see businesses in the next two years pop up in this space that will actually drive the technology around it. Listen, you're already seeing it with these incredible, you know, once in a lifetime startups in certain areas. Look at, um, I'm trying to think of something in compute that Wiz Technologies, right, that are doing it within the cloud infrastructure um, uh, assurance space, um, where if something is off slightly within a, in a container, your team knows about it. You're going to see this in uh, mesh managed networks. I mean, this is all coming up. Organizations are not just taking the protection, monitoring, and response view. They're adding in compliance into this technology, so it's immediate compliance as well. So, um, it you know, the world's looking up in this space. Absolutely, and and the benefit is there. And like you said, it's it's immediate. It's not once a year, oh, quickly get everything in place for your audit that's upcoming. It's on a daily basis. You you're actually giving that assurance to to your customers, to your business partners. So yeah, I, I definitely maybe a bit more daunting for customers and organizations at a starting point. But once everything's in place, it should be pretty seamless and pretty quick as well. What, what if what if compliance was renamed to the trust organization, right? You see some of that with security organizations, chief security officers, yep. be, you know, helping the brand, you know, and being called trust. What if trust was delivered by compliance? And that's how people looked at compliance in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is a, a brilliant final remark. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up, Roland? No, just uh, thanks to all the partners around the globe out there doing this work. I mean, I think it's really, uh, you know, as a chief security officer, it's really important. Um, and I know it doesn't feel it on a daily basis, but uh, you keep doing it because you are making the world a, uh, a more safe and trustworthy place. Absolutely. And thank you so much. Thank you for your time today, for your insights. It, it's, it's been an absolute treat to have you on the podcast. Really thanks, appreciate Kyle. it.